0: What's up everybody? Hope you're having a great day. Uh, Service Business Mastery Podcast. So we record a lot of this on video and I don't really share it very often. So I decided it was time to start sharing it. Uh, This episode happens to be with Mr. Terry here and he wrote a book called You Don't Know What You Don't Know. And it's all about buying and selling businesses. And we talk about the fact that A lot of people think about starting their business and start thinking about bootstrapping it and all the pains that go along with that. And you don't really consider acquisition as a a growth strategy. So our goal with this episode is to share acquisition as far as scaling your business or just growing your, your company in general. And also, uh, what you need to do in order to be able to sell your business to be able to be a sellable business. So let's get started with this show. What's up, everybody? Really quick, I want to interrupt the show to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, ThermoGrid. They make this show a possibility, and I want to send a huge shout out to them. ThermoGrid, uh, they've got your back. And uh, CRM service, but more than that, uh, check them out. If you're interested in CRMs, metrics, growing your business, being profitable, they have a guarantee. Click the link in the show notes. ThermoGrid. So welcome. Welcome to the Service Business Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Tersh Blissett. Today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about um, acquisitions and uh, a little bit about preparing yourself if you either are wanting to acquire a company or be acquired by someone else. Uh, I'm super excited to welcome uh, Terry Lammers uh, to the show. He's a certified value um, valuation analyst. Valuation analyst analyst. (laughs) Uh, and co founder, managing member of Innovative Business Advisors. Uh, He was the president and owner of Tri County Petroleum for 20 plus years uh, before joining Regions Bank as VP of Commercial Banking. That's a kind of a a cool transition from owner to VP of Commercial Banking Uh, after selling his business in 2010. uh, Armed with a vast, armed with a vast, financial experience and expertise uh, and decades of hands-on business leadership. Terry now works with his team at Innovative Business Advisors to guide current businesses business owners uh, looking to sell their enterprises as well as prospective buyers. So now that I got all that tongue twisting <laughs> out of the way, uh, I don't want to forget also the book that you have, which is super exciting. I mean, you were sharing a little bit about beforehand, but uh, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, it's everything, everything you need to know uh, to buy or sell a business. Now, welcome to the show first, Terry. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Absolutely. So with that being said, um, you're, the book that you have, is that, is that going to go to like a service business type thing or is that just across the board? Is that going to help out? Uh, oh,
1: it definitely will help service business. You know, gotcha. I think it helps across the board. You know, it's about mergers and ex- acquisitions In my experience I had the opportunity to buy 11 different companies and grow the sales of my company from $750,000 a year to over 42 million when I sold it. So, uh, you know, just talk about the whole process, things I did right, things I didn't do right. Um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I right. will tell you, you can't beat yourself up over things you don't know, but it yeah. is just a, a big exclamation part point to, uh, you know, build your team. You can't do it alone. You shouldn't do yeah. it
0: alone. And I think a, the one of the things is, is sometimes we use ignorance as bliss as an excuse, but like when you get pulled over and you say, oh, I didn't know it was Speed limit was forty five. I thought it was eighty. You're like, well, ignorance is an excuse, you know. It, whenever the same with the IRS, they're like, oh, ignorance is an excuse. But uh, it really does suck whenever you do you're starting a business and you don't know what you are supposed to know. And then after you know it, you're like, if I'd known that five years ago. You know, my life would be completely different right now.
1: That's right. And, and most of the time, what you don't know is costing you a lot of money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Totally, completely, or employees or hair like me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm getting there. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, I've been here a long, long time. But uh, So tell us a little bit about uh, the benefit of an acquisition over bootstrapping a startup or trying to, to bankroll a startup.
1: Existing cash flow, right? Um, I started innovative from scratch and and again, you don't know what you don't know. It's like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> I mean, your first day you you know you hang the sign, you don't have a customer, yeah. you don't have existing cash flow, you know uh, buying a company with you know that's been around for a long time is just an it's an excellent way to get into the business you know if you're a service tech wanting to you know start your own business go all these guys are retiring now the baby boomers are retiring so there's ample opportunities to get into a company with existing cash flow it makes it much easier to bank you know as far as getting a loan to buy the company or you know like i told you with me buying 11 different companies there was some companies that i bought a 100% 100% owner financing. Some was 50 50. Some was 100% bank financing. I had two acquisitions that I bought distressed companies, and we paid them a percentage of the gross profit for the customers that we retained. So, so
0: with so, um, whenever you purchase that, when when it's, say it's a service tech wanting to purchase a business, the the current business owner should they expect that person to stay or leave or how does that work? Is there like resentment from the other people? Like I imagine that.
1: You know, there's a lot of situations. When I sold my company, I had three former owners that still worked for me. And oftentimes what you find is they like being an HVAC tech. They hate running the business. So yeah. if you can come in and take that burden off their shoulder. It, it becomes enjoyable for them again, and they're willing to stick around. You know, maybe they don't go a hundred miles an hour, but they still got the knowledge and the customers that liked them, and and uh, they're still a great advocate for your company.
0: Yeah, I've found whenever we purchased like a one man shop, and uh, they love the fact that they're no longer on call 24/7, 365 because now they're they're quote unquote just a technician. They're not the only technician in the whole company, you know, in the whole, all of the, the company doesn't rely solely on them as, as the uh, one guy in the truck. And so they're, they're almost relieved. They're like, Oh cool. It's five o'clock. I'm checking out. Don't call me until in the morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're exactly right. So it's, you know, it's interesting. It's so let's look at it from two different kind of directions. If you're wanting to grow your company, Acquisitions is absolutely a great way to grow um, versus organic growth. I mean, you know, and and nowadays when HVAC HVAC techs are so short anyway, or plumbing or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, you're possibly acquiring employees. So that's great besides customers. Um, One thing that you want to look at from the acquiring standpoint, especially if you already have an HVAC company, we're talking a lot about HVAC companies, but a service company. (laughs) right? um, Do you... So there's two types of valuations I would tell you about. We typically do what I would call a financial valuation of a company. We're valuing the current cash flow of the company. If you're going to be buying another company, and in my book, I talk about it. Me and my accountant used to always butt heads. He would tell me, Terry, you pay for a company for the existing cash flow that it's, you know, spinning off. But as a buyer, I would encourage you to think of it from a strategic standpoint also. Because I, I also tell another story in the book where I bought that one man oil company, so we sold gasoline, diesel fuel lubricants, you know had two and four thousand gallon trucks, that kind of stuff, and you know, in my mind, he wanted about a hundred thousand dollars too much for the company, but one, he was located between two shops that I already had, so in an area that I had a lot of customer high concentration, I did not want somebody buy else buying that company. Yeah and becoming a cancer cell right in the middle of, you know, where I've got a high customer concentration area. So did I pay him more for the company? Yes, I did. But think of it from a strategic standpoint, he was a one man operation. I already had trucks cover in that area. I eliminated about 80% of his operating expenses. And it was really that his gross profit that almost a hundred percent fell to the bottom line of my company. So did he
0: stay on board whenever you purchased him?
1: Uh, no, in this situation, he retired, this guy did retire, but he did go around with me, um, and talk to, you know, we talked about the 80, 20 rule, you know, 80% of your profit comes from 20% of your customers. So, you know, we would send letters out to his customers saying that we took it over, but then he jumped in the truck with me at the time and we drove around and, and, you know, he introduced me to his bigger clients and, Mm and, you know, had the opportunity to thank them for their years of service, but more importantly say, Hey, Terry's a good guy. He treated me. Right. You know, I would encourage you to, to give him a shot. Yeah. And, and um most of the time we would keep 90, 95% of the customers.
0: That's really cool. That's the thing. The thing that scares me the most is like, if I go into a big acquisition and I'm saying that I'm going to put out potentially, you know, million dollars half a million dollars um i mean even a quarter of a million dollars is a lot of money and then you you have what happens if all the customers leave obviously there's a non-compete or you know some some sort of non-compete clause in there that they can't you know start up another business next door but what happens if they just like poof on you know
1: (laughs) yeah I mean that is and that's that's a worry so there's there's, you know there's a lot of different ways to struggle to struggle to um, structure the purchase of the company so the Mm -hmm. one company that I purchased was about 60 miles away from me and the owner was planning on to continue working for me uh, but he just couldn't he was going broke by himself so he's the second one that I paid a percentage of the customers that we kept Mm -hmm. because if he quit on me, I didn't know, you know, we're in a very rural area. I didn't know where all these, you know, back then you didn't have road names for your country (laughs) roads. So I wasn't going to find these customers. So we, we structured the sale of the company that those customers had to stay or he wasn't getting paid.
0: Do you still see that happening today? Uh, I mean, you said that was many years ago, but, how how relevant is something like that to today's because of you know obviously you have google and all that stuff so you and you have email and and digital marketing that you can reach out
1: it is it is not unusual at all to see the owner do some sort of financing it is not unusual at all to put some kind of hurdles into a contract that you know if i don't achieve x then you're not getting y Um, you know that takes us as much on the but on a seller's kind of eh too, because, you know, right. how are you going to run my company? Well, if you don't right. run it, right? It ain't my fault you didn't achieve the sales. Right. Um, when I sold my company, they held back nearly a seven figure number with no attachments to it, but just to keep my attention to help them the bu- transition the business over.
0: Yeah. And that's what, that's kind of, that's what I was kind of thinking too was the fact that you, as a the, the seller, if you're, if you're gonna sign your name on that clause and then they they don't come in and like they have a horrible sales process or they come in and and they come into town and they instantly get a bad reputation or ruin your reputation, uh, you know, yeah. You're responsible well, for
1: all of it. And you know, that kind of goes to the term of the the book too. You don't know what you don't know. Right. Um if you're out there and you're wanting to buy a company, or, you know, whether it's your first one or an existing one, another big thing that I would tell you is right out of the gate, don't make a lot of changes. Even if it pains you to see the way the previous person <laughs> was doing it, yeah. you, you let down let those customers get used to you, you know, let them see your face a little bit. And then, you know, whether it's, three or four months or six months down the road. I think in the book, I say a year, then start making, you know, the changes that you want to make, but let them gain your trust. But now I would say there's a flip side to that. Sometimes you need to go talk to the customer because it's kind of, you know, makes you go you know, because the guy he had a customer you just acquired quit because he didn't like the way the other guy was doing it. So,
0: Oh yeah. Good point. Yeah. So what about, what if their pricing structure is just all kinds of screwed up? Like you're, you're basically buying a company and they can't make money because their pricing is all kinds of screwed up, but you know how to price it. You know, the pricing structure needs to be, and you're probably going to lose some clients because you're going to have to maybe double or triple what you're charging. They're charging currently or completely change the pricing structure completely.
1: Yeah, so those are due diligence questions. Yeah, you know, do your homework before you buy the company. And and you're exactly right. So, you know, what we teach people in our coaching program is, you know, the value of your company is primarily going to be driven by the cash flow of it. You know, how much money does it make? But there are non-financial things that can affect the value or sellability of the company, and it's these non-financial things that. I mean, it may not lower the value of your company from a million dollars to $800,000. It may make it completely unsellable, you know? Okay. It, That's a so,
0: big, a uh, big difference there.
1: It's a huge difference. Just you know, before we jumped on to, on the thing here, yeah, we talked about a HVAC company that we got for sale right now. We're, you know, unfortunately somebody overvalued the company with them. They tried to sell it to a key employee. That was a crash and burn. Then the guy quit. So now he doesn't have any other HVAC techs and, you know, he's doing everything and it's making it an unsellable company.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And and the great point about that, about it being unsellable is now, because that owner is the tech and you're, I mean, you're going to leave. So what I've found with owners who are the techs, they have relationships with all the clients. And mm -hmm. so when you leave, when that technician leaves, who is the owner, these people are still calling for the previous owner they want the previous owner to come out there because and as the owner you almost kind of you take more ownership you take more pride in each job that you do because it's a hundred percent your reputation on the line yeah and whenever i send a, a technician out on those same calls where the home where the the business owner used to go out there You get a different feel, even no matter how hard you try, no matter how great your technicians are, it's still going to give a little bit different feeling than if the business owner was out there.
1: I think that's probably one of the hardest things for a smaller company to become a bigger company, you know, for that owner to be willing and able to take himself out of that position where he's the doer, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, it is, it's a trick. I mean, I had to go through it in my business. You know, when I first came back to run the business, I was, you know, I had my butt in a delivery truck every day, you know, then it kind of got to the point and you bought a couple of companies and you know, you only worked when, you know, for us, we have a lot of ag around here. So um, planting season and harvest, we was really busy. So, you know, that I would only drive in those times and then you finally get big enough to where you got to, uh, you're dispatching all the trucks. And then the next step is, you know, you have a dispatcher that's dispatching all the trucks. So, but the more you can pull yourself away from that company, uh, you know, the more sellable of a company you're going to have. So think of it like this. Can you go on vacation for two weeks and not take any phone calls? And is that company still going to run?
0: Right. Yeah. A friend of mine, Mike McAllowitz wrote a book called clockwork and it's basically making your business run like a clock or clock. Um, running on its own. And and one of your commitments is 18 months after you read the book to take a full month off because through a month, your entire cycles happened, your bills have been paid, you know, all your, your payrolls happened and all that stuff. And can the whole business run with you being completely disconnected from the business for a month and uh, a, a lot of people that can't happen. But if, if you can, if you can, I feel like that's much more of a sellable company. Absolutely,
1: and don't just think. I, you know, I've had issues before where, um, in, in our coaching program, we call it the Switzerland structure. So, is your Switzerland was a very independent country, right? Didn't fight in any of the world wars. Well, is your is your company independent of anyone employee, anyone customer, or anyone supplier? Mm. So we added an issue we sold the company one time where the owners had done a great job. They had two guys that could run, literally run the company for them. They could go on two weeks, you know, and not take any phone calls and the thing would just hum right along. However, they didn't have any key key man life insurance, or they didn't have any gold, you know, call them golden handcuffs to keep those employees there when we sold the company. So two weeks before the sale of the company, our buyer was a young couple. And, uh, this was, happened to be a drilling company. So really it's a service business, yeah. uh, they do environmental drilling, um, young couple, he had a master's degree engineer. So obviously a smart guy, yeah. but he'd never done any drilling. So these two guys had to stay or he wasn't buying the company. Right. So we spent a lot of time in attorneys fees discussing are we going to make these two guys sign a service agreement? I mean you know an employment agreement with a with a non-compete and possibly pay him something or are we going to go in shake hands, pat him on the back and say hey, you're going to be a main part of my team and I'm going to start a profit sharing program. So ultimately we, you know, they're blue collar workers, right? They've yeah. never signed an employment agreement. They never right. had a non compete. We felt like the probability of them telling you where to put the employment agreement <laughs> in certain places was probably pretty high. Right. So yeah. w- we did go- We did ultimately, you know, do the handshake, and uh, he was going to put in a profit sharing plan. Um, they stayed. Uh, it wasn't. It was not without it bumps and bruises. But yeah. but it but it, but it worked. So. Yeah, that's
0: a good point you make because sometimes we'll have, and even when you're not selling your business, sometimes you have that key employee. And if it, so, I have. Uh, there's this one guy in HVAC industry. He sells nine million dollars a year. Like that's what he sells easily, nine million dollars a year. Whereas most service, our most salespeople in HVAC, they're they're selling like one, two, maybe three million a year. And and so my coach was like would you rather have one guy that sells 9 million or three guys that sold 3 million, you know? Exactly. And it's like you have all your eggs in one basket with that one guy, like who wouldn't want a guy that sells $9 million a year, but what happens when you built your infrastructure on that one guy and then he leaves?
1: So. Yep. I have a, I had a former customer. He's actually still in business, but I'd love to talk about him in my speaking engagements. <laughs> um, he had a big business. It was a trucking company and he probably operated about 50 trucks. Uh, he delivered all of the milk out of a milk processing plant. So, you know, one gallon jugs, cottage cheese, all wow. that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, he'd gone through 10,000 gallons of fuel a day. So, I mean, this is, this is a legitimate company. Yeah. But guess how many customers he had? One. One. Yeah. <laughs> the dairy. So, would you buy that company? You know, I mean...
0: uh, yikes well you know one of the acquisitions that we we purchased uh they had and this was a an ignorance thing on my behalf talking about this exact scenario where uh they had a couple of small accounts but they had one account that just kept one guy busy all the time and uh and and several times throughout the week so they need additional support for this location well i picked up this account and uh They were charged, they weren't charging for everything that they were doing. They would have somebody there all the time. And so I was like, X nay, we're charging for everything that we're doing. We're not a charity case. And within months, they were like, All right, we're good. We're we're gonna go find somebody else. And I'm like, Yeah, we lost that that one account that was their big generator. I you know, so you
1: would call that customer concentration and I got burnt on the thing myself. You know, I like to say when I was young and dumb, I bought a pretty good sized company and I needed, so it was interesting. I'll tell you, Mike, I was a fuel company that sold lubricants, you know, and I found a company to buy that I would say was a lubricants company that sold fuel. And more importantly, he had a bulk oil packaging facility, which I sorely needed. I was operating out of my own calf shed. Um, and I'm I'm a country boy, so
0: gotcha. uh, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything. You're good. <laughs> you just
1: had a blank look on your face. No,
0: but uh, you just see it on my face. He he uh, he,
1: uh, he was serviced a mine, and that was probably his largest bulk oil account, you know. And I naively was like, well, oh, the mine's never gonna close, right? right. <laughs> well, three years after I bought it, the mine closed. You oh, know, geez. so yeah, you that's you know you can get burnt on that. But so there's always ways you can get burnt. But here's a couple of other things that I've had happen recently that, that's really important um, for your listeners to know. One, you know, acquiring another company is a great way to expand yourself geographically. Yeah. But I had a company, so we have an HVAC company for sale right now. And I called a guy in a, you know an adjacent town, and he said, Why would I want to buy another HVAC company in an area that I a hundred percent cover where he's at currently, and and I just wanted to shake him. The reason is if you know if that guy goes out of business, his business is going to get split up between several yeah. other other suppliers, you know, HVAC people, totally. whoever. But if you go to him and pay him, pay him a fair price for the company, and you and I was also talking about, you can get some really good deals buying companies, yeah. and he goes around and tells his current customers that you know, buy from you. You may be able to keep 95% of those customers. And what's that work to you over the long period of time?
0: Yeah. So what what would you say? Because I've had some people tell me before, like, now these are well-established companies. They've said, you know, why should I buy the one and two man shops whenever I can just spend marketing dollars to put them out of business?
1: I talk about that in the book also. And one of, them, you know, one of my thoughts around it is you're going to be acquiring customers that you didn't even know was out there. Um, there was a, a company that I bought, and they was selling all the fuel to the local refinery, the fuel refinery. Well, who in the wide world would think that you would sell fuel to a fuel refinery? Good point. But they could, they could take their non-taxable diesel fuel out of the proverbial sp- Picket, so to speak, what they was making, but the gasoline and taxable oh, diesel yeah. fuel for the trucks has to come from a licensed distributor, and that account for us was over forty five thousand gallons a month. So I mean one, I didn't even know it could be account an account two. How would you, you know, it's a refinery. You you can't even get in the place without a badge. And yeah. three, the person that you needed to talk to, if you was going to tackle those hurdles, is actually in Houston and not in Illinois. <laughs> right. So so you say, you know, why do that? Because there's probably a lot of clients out there that it may take you, think of the money you'll spend on the marketing versus you pay them a fair amount for the company and you get that company forever.
0: That's a good point that you made there um, about not even knowing that the customer exists. And then not only that, not being able to have the access to the person that's the point of contact to even make the decision, the decision-making, I guess, uh, in that scenario. And I I totally get that hundred percent. I think that most of the times the time when people have said that, I think that what they were implying was pretty much a, a residential service company where they can market to the homeowners uh, versus a commercial client and and we do both we're 50 50 commercial and residential so um, I totally can see exactly what you're saying there about the, that. Yeah. Kind of and I mean, I'm
1: not saying, you know, if you're trying to grow the company organically by a website or, you know, marketing that there's anything wrong with that. It, yeah. And ultimately, I think it'd be a combination of two. What if you can't find a company, you're going to hang your hat a hundred percent on acquisitions and there's nobody to acquire. Yeah. Well, that's an issue, oh, you know, but then, so we've been talking about acquisitions quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think it's equally important to address the other side of the fence the people that are wanting to sell their company. So the number, so the number one reason, so two things really, one, and I was like this, a lot of business owners, up to 85% of their wealth is tied to the value of their business. But do you have a sellable company? So it's very important, you know, think about this. If you're relying on the transition or sale of your company, to fund your retirement, do you have a sellable company? Mm-hmm. And number two, you, you know, don't wait before three months before you want to sell a company to go find out how much money you need from the company to fund your retirement. Uh, I've had that happen twice this month alone, where I got a deal that actually tonight that I'm going to. I valued the company at $1.6 million. And yesterday, she. Called me the owner of this company that she had went and talked to her financial advisor, which she didn't have one, and I recommended one. Mm-hmm. But they need three million dollars net of taxes to fund their retirement, and I valued the company at one point six, and that's uh, wow,
0: that's not gonna work.
1: No, so so <laughs> tell if listeners pay attention here, <laughs> have your company value, know what a realistic value of your company is. And again, it goes back to building that team of people and, you know, what, what do you need to fund your retirement? Where is that coming from? And then it's, you know, it's just vitally important that y- you know what that number is and your company is of the size and value to fund that retirement. So, I mean, I've had situations where people come to me and they say, if I don't sell this thing in three months, I'm just going to shut the door. Right. Well, yeah. You know,
0: that's, tough. that's sad. That's a hard conversation to have. Uh, I had a business partner one time and he was like, you think you can buy me out in two weeks? And I was like, that's not how this works. Yeah.
1: Uh, But that being said, if you have your ducks in a row, it can happen pretty quick. I sold my company, you know, $45 million a year in sales from the time we signed a letter of intent to the time we closed was six weeks.
0: Yeah, that's not bad at all
1: but the customer was a sophisticated buyer. It was a $6 billion company. So they didn't have to get financing. Yeah. And you know, I had, I would call, I would have called myself a sophisticated seller because of all the companies that I bought mm-hmm. and we hammered through it. But you know, think about all the people. And this is what I talk about in the book. The middle of the book is, you know, who's your team? Who's your financial advisor? Who's your attorney and not your estate planning attorney. Somebody that's done MA work, yeah. you know, um, do you need a banker? And do they do, do they do, M and A Transa- or you know, I guess really what I should say is, do they lend money to the type of business that you're in? If you got carpenters listening to your show, you said a lot of a lot of banks don't want to fund construction companies. Really? So or, you know, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, are you at the right bank? Um, you know, you need those people on your team to help you through the transaction. So,
0: whenever you're whenever you're you're selling your company. Um, or you're purchasing a company, and you're trying to go through. You're trying to find the right bank. Basically, is the question I'm getting at. If you go the SBA route, like they're going, would they would match you up with the right bank, right? If that's. And also, what's your thoughts on yay or nay SBA type loan? Uh,
1: especially in a service business, the SBA is where you get a lot of loans done. It's a, that's a very interesting question. Here in St. Louis, there is a ton of SBA banks. So if you're going to go with the SBA route, go to a bank, whether it's local or, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's SBA things all over, but go to a bank that does SBA loans. They'll know Mm -hmm. how to get the paperwork done. Mm -hmm. If you go to a bank that does SBA loans, they'll get it done as quick as maybe a fair, you know, a regular about as fast as what you can get a regular loan done you go to an sb a bank that offers sba loans but they only do them here and there you may stumble around trying to get through the paperwork forever um the other thing that here's one another warning bankers are salesmen so i used to be a banker so i I can throw them (laughs) under the bus they're salesmen they get bonuses on how many loans they make in an SBA loan, you can stretch the amortization, how long it takes you to pay that loan off, to 10 years. Where I see that a bank is selling you a loan is where the company's been overvalued. They put you on a 10-year amortization schedule, and it barely meets what's called a debt service coverage ratio. You know, it's a it's basically a ratio of, is there enough cash flow to pay for that loan? Um, that's a word of caution. Now, I tell how people you know all the time, if,
0: How do you know if you're... if, if that's you if you're getting stuck in that scenario.
1: Your CPA, you know, one. Hopefully, you have a banker that understands it because, believe me, when I worked at the bank, I worked at there were some of them guys they were just paper chasers. They didn't know anything <laughs> about finance. Yeah. Uh, but you know that's why you need a good CPA to to help you through that. But you ought to be able, you ought to be able to pay for that company. I'm going to say in five years there should be yeah. enough cash for, cash flow there to support you getting a salary and to pay for the company in five years. Now, if you wanna do the SBA route and get a 10-year loan, your loan payment's gonna be much smaller. There's nothing wrong with that. What I tell people all the time is, you know, the, for the first two or three years, take that lower payment, stuff some cash away. And then when you feel like, you know, you got sufficient working capital to, to you know, survive a rainy day, so to speak, then go chomp it off and pay because there's no prepayment penalty. So then go and and try and pay it off as quick as you can, if you'd like, but you want to make sure, you know, you build yourself a cushion.
0: Is there a benefit to paying it off early other than peace of mind?
1: I mean, so, you know, peace so of let's mind. Say, let's say you
0: squirrel away some cash, like you said. You, you keep some cash for a rainy day fund, um, even if it's, you know, two years worth of cash flow. I mean, like two years worth of overhead expenses, like something crazy. If you had that put away and then you just, just ran it out for the low payments for 10 years, if you were planning on keeping the business for that long.
1: It all depends on what your goal is, you know, so I I love this term and I use it in a book and I talk about it. What's your bankability, you know, because another thing uh, I'm in the process of doing a website for the book and we'll have it on there. You need a debt schedule. What is your total payments? You know, so if I say your debt service coverage ratio, you know, ideally ought to be two. That means you have two dollars in income for every dollar worth of debt. A bank's minimum is typically one point two five, you know, a dollar twenty five in income for every dollar's worth of debt. But man, that's a very leveraged loan. If your debt service coverage ratio is you know up in that two range or higher, chop it off and save yourself the interest expense.
0: You know, if, okay. So if that's want to buy another that, that interest that yeah. What yeah, about so you, whenever you're trying to purchase, like if you're going through a a system where you're trying to scale your your business up? and so you're wanting to purchase more and more and more businesses uh, is it advantageous to get that that initial loan paid off to get more loans or are they are they going to see well that business that particular business is paying for its own loan so we don't we can like net we can nay <laughs> that and and null it out
1: you're trying to promote my book, aren't you? No, <laughs> but I talk about it. So, when I first started buying companies, it's all about your bankability. And there's, you know, in the book, in that chapter, I talk about there's basically two sides to every loan cash. And this is as simple as it gets cash flow and collateral. If you don't pay it back, what am I going to take of yours that will make me whole? And cash flow, how much cash is flowing for your company to make the payments on this loan? So, when I first started buying companies, You know, the first company I bought, I had to do owner financing because I didn't have the collateral or cash flow to Mm -hmm. buy it. The owner had faith in me, we bought it, paid it off in five years, everything hunky dory. When then I would still have kind of a banking issue to get those loans because the bank didn't want to look at the cash flow from the company that I was going to buy to help service the debt of that loan because you didn't have any sales contracts with them. You know, what if the customers flee? So when I got to the point where the cash flow from my current company could make the payments on the loan that I needed to buy the next company. That's when the rubber hit the road and mm-hmm. we was buying companies left and right. Okay, You know, but it, it it's just, a, it's another thing. And I'm not trying to make this a big sale on Terry, but it is one of the things we talk about in our CEO to CEO coaching program is to keep you bankable because ideally, you know, you get before you say, five, 10 years before you sell your company, wherever you're at in the life cycle of your business, you need to have a business valuation. So get a realistic idea of what your company's worth. Then your team member, member who should be a financial advisor tells you you need X number of dollars from the sale of your company to fund your retirement. Well, if your company's worth a million and you need three, let's coach you up you know, if you're going to grow that company, likely you're going to have to borrow money to whether it's for an acquisition or buying more trucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So would you even have that conversation with your financial advisor? If you're like in your thirties and you've, you've got like, let's say $20 million a year company and you're looking at selling it, like, would you even have that retirement conversation? Or, I mean, you just plan on going ahead and investing that money into a different company? Uh,
1: Um, Yes, definitely have that conversation because. So I, I have two mantras. It's not about your your company is not about sales and net income. It's about gross profit and cash flow. On the flip side, I don't care what you sell your company for. It's what you get to keep net of taxes, and that was one of the things I didn't do right. I didn't seek the advice of a financial advisor when I sold my company because mm-hmm. what do most owners want when they sell a company? They want a big check, right? Well, guess what? That comes with a big tax liability, and there's ways to structure the sale of your company that could benefit you greatly um, when you when you sell the business. In fact, when you write a book, they want you to write a first first page. So it's supposed to be something riveting, you know, that keeps you want to turn the rest of the pages. Well, my first first page is about me, a company that I actually bought, and we negotiated the purchase price of the company, but there's this little thing called the allocation of the assets. How are you allocating the assets to that purchase price? You as the seller want as much money to go towards the asset. I'm sorry. You want as, you as the seller want as much money to go to Goodwill. It's taxed at a lower rate. The buyer is going to want as much money to go to the assets of the company so they can re-depreciate them back off. Well, our two accountants were button heads on the allocation of the assets. So, I don't know. It's an interesting.
0: How, how do you, very you decide? True story. I mean, how did you decide on that? Like, is, well, it, is that part of the negotiation of the sale?
1: For me, I ended up calling the owner, and I had to have the allocation of the assets a certain way to satisfy my bank.
0: Okay. So
1: I knew it's. It's like his name was. Um, shoot, I can't think of it right now. Rats, but <laughs> Jerry. So I, you know, I had to call Jerry and say, Jerry, this is just the way it's going to have to be. I know it's going to cost you more in taxes, but it is what it is. And, uh, he was kind of funny old guy. He's okay, Terry. That's the way it'll be. <laughs> I went back in the conference room told my accountant run them this way. And, and we got the deal done.
0: So in that scenario though, but if, if he didn't know that that was what he needed to do, he, without any, like you could have steamrolled him. Yeah. If, if he didn't know that this is how right. it needs to be done.
1: That's why you got to have a team, you know, you don't know what you don't know.
0: <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, that's, and, and your coaching program, what does that stand for? The E because it's uh, chief
1: everything officer to chief executive officer. Okay. So we basically do three things. We really help the business owner understand their financial statements and teach them, you know, eight to 10 key financial ratios that are, if you know those ratios and I can teach anybody how to, you know, eight to 10 ratios, you'll have a pretty good heartbeat on how your company's doing. Um, your bankability, we talked about that. Are you a bankable person? If you're going to grow a company, can you, you know, are you bankable? And it's not just a, I got funny stories around that too. And then the third thing is, um, the non-financial things that affect the value of your company. So we do that in one-to-one coaching and or small groups of five. So
0: cool. That's really so, cool. So yeah. how did they, how did they get in touch with you to do that? Um,
1: uh, website is www. Boy, apple, dot com. Uh, my phone number is 618-530-8922. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, Facebook. You'll find me all over the place.
0: Cool. Anything else that we want to add other than pick up a book, pick up your copy of the book?
1: It's a, you know, it's a, it's a quick read. um,
0: How many pages is it? It doesn't look terribly. No, it's not.
1: It, it, it it takes me maybe about three hours to go through. It's only about 130 pages. So, but at the end of each chapter, there's questions and believe me, I writing a book is a painful thing for me, (laughs) but the last thing I did was that's called check yourself. Um, you know, it's basically questions that talk about the chapter. So that, you know, it says describe the importance of a good management team. Well, that's like goes back to, you know, that's a non-financial thing. I just happened to flip that can affect the value of the company. You know, do you have a management team? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, when I was writing those questions, that's when it was kind of like the aha moment, you know, it's right, like, yeah. you know what, if you read this book and you know the answer to these 75 questions, you'll learn something. So I think we're going to have that available free. There'll be a website for the book, www dot you don't know what you don't know dot com that's up and coming and that'll be something those questions is something you can download for free but the book's available on amazon and kindle right now
0: perfect cool is there anything i didn't ask that i need that we need just gotta get oh, it out there. I
1: think we could do three or four episodes just on this.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm I'm right there with you.
1: <laughs> so I love acquisitions. Uh, you know, I I think it's just very important if you're a current business owner. God, I can talk to you. Most reasons, most most reasons businesses don't sell is because they're overvalued. You have to have a bankable deal. Mm-hmm. Um, could you, you know, could you get that great big multiple from a strategic purchase? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I did. Um, but it, you need to have a little bit of a realistic idea also in case you, you don't hit a home run like that. So, yeah. And you
0: were, it wasn't like you just decided one day to just sell your business. Like you had kind of, you had some sort of plan outright.
1: I, I did. Well, I had some, and that's what what led me down to the path that I'm doing now, valuing businesses because, you know, in 2010 and it was like 2008 when we started this process, Fuels four dollars a gallon, and let me tell you, you don't have a lot of friends when fuel's four dollars a gallon. Um, (laughs) And three thousand local customers—the key word being local there. Local. (laughs) Uh, I had to like hide. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I had somebody value the company, and they told me the value of it. And you know, I was fortunate. I was like, "Oh Jesus, if you can get that far, I'm done." You know, uh, I'm 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 done. But the tragic thing is, and I tell another story in the book where people think the company's worth three times what it's really worth and you know they're already 65 68 years old and want to retire but they can't mm-hmm. I mean that's sad
0: yeah and and the crazy thing is it's like in the different groups uh, that we're a part of on Facebook and, and LinkedIn I see some wild numbers they're like and like they're they'll say well I sold my business for this amount or I was a valued for this amount and um like well if you can sell it for that much you know have at it but yeah
1: i was a strategic i was a very i was the largest privately held wholesale fuel and lubricants person in southern illinois and um i was a very strategic buy for the company that bought me and you know and one of the things i didn't know about until i sold the company was they needed my lubricants packaging facility. They had just bought a blending facility and they wanted to get into bulk oil business in Southern Illinois. Well, if they started from scratch, there we go talking about starting a company from scratch, you know, you got a long road to hoe to Mm -hmm. get to where you get a viable thing. If they bought me out now, they have a half million gallons in lubricant sales and a packaging facility which they needed. So, you know, so I was a very strategic
0: target. So make yourself strategic. Yeah. Make yourself a target.
1: <laughs> and oftentimes cool. those are non-financial things that are going on in the company. Yeah. So fun right. topic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, if you, if you found value in this episode, please, if you're listening, uh, share, share this content with friends and family. Uh, and also, if you're listening to this on your phone, take a screenshot of it. Share it on social media, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, especially in Instagram stories. And uh, tag me in it. If we're not connected, oh. then... I'd love to connect. Oh yeah. Terry, what you got?
1: One more thing. If you need a speaker for your association or trade group, I'm happy to do it.
0: Oh yeah. Sweet. So get in contact with Terry. He's, he's a guy full of a wealth of knowledge. He, uh, his, his resume is extremely long and and I didn't even read half of it in the intro because there's just, you have so much going on Terry. And I, and I really, I appreciate you coming on the show and, um, and I've already ordered my book. So once the new books are out, I want to get some of those also. And uh, I look forward to learning, learning more about you and from you. And I look forward to talking to you again soon uh, on the Service Business Mastery Podcast. The podcast focused on service business owners, managers, and technicians who are considering becoming business owners themselves. Until next time, we'll talk again soon. Be good.